Obviously, we're all in different places uh, as we're coming together tonight. Yeah, a lot of different places in our marriage, a large spectrum of expectations for tonight. But the topic choices uh, versus what's not covered, we gave a lot of thought and prayer to that. Uh, we realized, I mean, for instance, the last marriage retreat we did uh, three, four, or five years ago, we had included in there sex, money, a couple of other topics that we're not covering this time around. Um, and so, you know, obviously, whatever your thoughts or expectations are, um, we hope that um, you'll glean and apply yourselves. Uh, we just exhort you, encourage you to stay open and teachable in this process and glean what's applicable. Um, some of the exercises, some of the things we're going to do, uh, you know, may be stretching for you. Um, just sort of go with it. Have fun with it. Um, okay. Um, a lot of exercises that you're going to see, including take-home, uh, there's a lot of them, and that's by design so that you can have a good framework to build over the months. If you work uh, with a purpose and intentionality using these exercises for yourself and each other, I really think you'll thrive. Because, you know, it's a truism. The more seeds you plant into your relationship, the larger your harvest of increase is going to happen. So we just pray you thrive. Okay, if you'd like to go ahead and open up your packet there to the uh, first little handout for you there is Thriving in God in general. And um, what's important to understand sometimes, and it gets lost in sometimes the American ideal of, especially Christian ideal, unfortunately, of marriage being the ultimate end. And somehow... Uh, in the idea of being one flesh and having a soul tie with our partner, sometimes it can get lost in the understanding that we are still distinct, unique individuals in this oneness, in this marriage. And I think um, in going really from a larger view first is that understanding that we want it as a goal to look towards having a healthy interdependence upon one another rather than a codependence or a siloed kind of marriage where our individualistic uh, bents lead into a train track marriage where they're going the same direction but the rails never meet. So being able to understand first of all our responsibilities for uh, building health in our own lives and actually Thriving in God for ourselves as believers, because he's our source, is something that we have to really understand. And so I, I really want to do a larger view before we start going into some of these topics. Um, the word thrive simply means to grow vigorously, uh, to prosper, to, to progress toward or reach a goal. And so uh, Peter, in his letter, basically says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. So he encourages us to
to cry out for this nourishment now that you have had taste of the Lord's, had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Um, you kind of get the idea. You can picture in your mind what it is to watch a baby feed. Uh, they're hungry. So being able to cultivate and realize how needy we are and to be hungry for him, his nature, his presence is really important. Notice uh, the next verse. They shall prosper that love you. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, be like the runners in a race. Run with all your might towards the goal. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And then the last one, he who cherishes understanding prospers. Obviously, this is just a small, small sample of so many verses that speak to thriving in general, using all of these terms and synonyms. So in that sense, if you have a heart to cultivate that relationship with him and that that is a distinct part of your life. Now, we go through seasons. I understand that. But in general, your life has that aim, that goal, that desire. You will become a healthful part of this oneness that you share together in your marriage. Um, we have to understand something about thriving in God in general. First of all, Jesus said very clearly to us, if you follow me, the world will hate you. If you love me, you will be hated even by all men. Now, sometimes in our area where we live in, that can be very subtle, maybe not as overt like in other countries where believers are being persecuted constantly, put to death, put into prison, uh, losing their properties, their homes. Um, but there is an opposition in general to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. There is, you know... Jesus promises, or Paul in Timothy promises us, those who have a desire to live godly will suffer persecution. So if we understand the general opposition to us as individual believers and face that and recognize that, we won't be taken off guard. As far as your marriage and this relationship, we have to understand there's opposition to the covenantal relationship of marriage. It is something that God ordained. It's one of the first things he mentions in creation. And so, with anything, there is opposition to marriage in general. Being able to recognize that is um, really important. Listen to what uh, Jeremiah, in his complaint to the Lord, there in Jeremiah 12, he says, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this complaint. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You've planted them, and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. But as for me, Lord, you know my heart, you see me, and test my thoughts. So Jeremiah's heart, he's pouring out this complaint. 
don't you see what's going on? Why is this happening? Why does it seem that this is going on? Why does evil prosper? Why, why does this kind of opposition go on? What, what, what is happening here? But notice the Lord's reply, and it really can make you laugh. He says if, to Jeremiah, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? And if you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? He's basically telling Jeremiah, you know what? It hasn't even gotten bad yet. <laughs> if you're just going to complain and fall short and fail and give up in, in, in a good time, in a good season, what's going to happen later on? Guys, we need to understand that in this life, we have no guarantees of this wonderful, rich existence we live in. So if you recognize opposition to marriage, your heart is grieved, you feel like your marriage is under attack, this is a time to pick up those feeble hands, to strengthen the weak knees and stand up, strengthen that backbone, and begin to start doing something about that so that you can weather the attacks on your marriage. And they come in different forms, from different places, from different people. So just understand that. Because look at the encouragement that the writer of Psalm 1, which I believe is David, he says, Oh, the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it, day and night. And notice what he says here, looking at these fiddle leaf figs and even some of the plants on your table. They're like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This is an antidote, one of the antidotes for opposition, is being able to uh, be able to put your roots deep, sink them into who he is and his nature and his presence and begin to thrive, taking his word into your hearts and minds so that you can thrive in an opposition time set that we live in now. Um, so, good start? Okay. Um, I forgot to ask, does anybody need pens? Did everybody get pens? Um, everyone's got them. Who doesn't have them? Raise your hands. Um, where are the pens, honey? Were they, are they at the back table? You got it, Bethany? Okay, keep your hands up, and Bethany will bring some pens so you can make your own notes on this. So Vicki's going to spend some time sharing in um, thriving in differences. But I'm, just like we just went from a larger view, I'm going to start with a larger view here as well. Um, and that's in your packet right there. Um, and notice the question that I asked there at the beginning. Even though God is different than we are, can we still thrive in that distinction and difference? Because look at what the, what the Lord says in Isaiah 55 here. This is his heart. This is his mind. He's revealing something about himself. And he's revealing something about ourselves. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heaven, heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that might be taken harshly. <laughs> you, you might take that in different ways. But God doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, okay, you come up to where I'm at. And when you reach my level, then we'll, you know, we'll ease these differences. We'll, you know, we'll be more alike. That's not how he starts off. What happens? He comes down and he sends his son. And notice this, this verse in Philippians, speaking of the son of God, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He became like us. <laughs> That's crazy. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So God, in his difference from us, extended himself to become like us in an act of love to bring us to himself, to bridge that gap. That's incredible to me. I mean, I mean, we could talk on that for days and get rich on it. But consider that. Think about that. Meditate on that. And so, as a natural progression, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in John 15. And he talks about thriving in this relationship with him even though there are differences. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a lot in that statement. But to sum it up, he basically says, he is divine, you are branch." Yeah, it's an old joke, I know. It's back from the 70s. Okay. I won't use that one again, okay? I promise. But that's essentially where we're at in this process. God extending himself, even though he's different, comes, and through Jesus, we remaining in him, we become like him. The Father forms and shapes us into be looking like his son. We become more and more like God. And thus the, the gap slowly closes more and more as we experience him. And we begin to know his thoughts. We begin to share his mind. We begin to work the works he's doing in a sense. And that should encourage you in a general way. So really, again, that statement here, through true love demonstrated by commitment, healthy growth occurs between distinct individuals. He demonstrated true love by committing himself in sacrifice to us. And as we respond to that call and that love and that power in his presence, we begin to thrive in that place. So my wife's going to talk about thriving in a more micro view between ourselves and differences. This is absolutely one of my very favorite topics when it comes to marriage. 
because if, when you think about it, when I ponder it, um, isn't it our differences, whether it's our gender differences or our personality differences or our cultural differences as man and wife, isn't it our differences that cause our issues, right? We have differences and those can escalate into conflict. So <clears throat> I love this topic because if you can step back and look at it with a different view, honestly, it can be really funny. I mean, if you think about some of the differences that you have as man and wife, um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take a much closer look at differences. But before we really move in, thinking about differences, I love this quote from John and Paula Stanford, because when you think about God, there are so many facets to who he is, right? He's healer, he's provider, he's lover, he's Lord. He's, there's so many sides to, to him. And there are also, in some ways, God manifests the fatherhood, but in some ways, he also talks about mother, right? So there's just so much to him. Uh, this quote I love, he says, Our Lord is the only one who perfectly expresses both authority and tenderness, judgment and mercy, discipline and forgiveness, principle and flexibility, philosophy and spontaneity, common sense and high, excuse me, high mysticism, logic and creativity. He only is balance and wholeness. He's all-encompassing. If we do not find our balance in him, we will not achieve it in relationship with our mates. If we fail to obtain wholeness from him, we will try to use our mate to complete us. But if we find abundant life in him, he blesses us with a sweet fullness through our mate's presence. Now, he does say in the scriptures that in Christ, right, there is now no male or female in terms of our equal position before him. However, the male demonstrates certain facets of God's character. The woman demonstrates other facets of God's character. And I realize I'm going to be speaking in broad generalities, and sometimes they don't apply, you know, sometimes as, as a husband and wife, he may demonstrate some uh, characteristics that tend to be a little more female, and she may demonstrate some characteristics that tend to be a little more male. Our relationship is like that. I mean, in terms of our giftings and the way we operate, um, sometimes Gunther can be, believe it or not, more verbal than I am, and I'm like, get to the bottom line. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about some of those things, but just wanted you to know, these are generalities, and that's okay, but let's just have some fun with it. Um, because God is predominantly referred to as Father, I personally, and maybe you're like me, don't always think about the mother side of God. And so I just wanted to share a few scriptures where he demonstrates that tender, nurturing side, which is predominantly tends to be more female, right? Uh, one of these scriptures is in Matthew, where he's speaking of Jerusalem. And he, he comes, the picture that he paints here is of a mother hen. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Again, in Isaiah 49, the picture painted here is of God as mother, as compassionate. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And then in Isaiah, just one more example of compassion, the compassionate side of a mother, he says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. If we have a better grasp of the differences in our genders and our personalities, 
It's going to help us to embrace those differences rather than consistently resisting and fighting against them. Okay, if we know they're there, if we understand that that's normal, okay, there's nothing wrong with us, right? Do you ever think, do you ever feel like there's something wrong with you? We're probably the only ones in the room, but there are those moments where it's like, what is wrong with us? One important thing to remember what we're going to discuss, as I mentioned before, is that these are generaliz generalizations. So there's a little handout here that lines out a bunch of gender differences, and we're not going to go over all of them, but I, but I just want to share a few of them, kind of highlight a few of them. And as I do, think in terms of your relationship. Think in terms of has the, have these specific differences, have you seen them in your relationship? Okay, so physiologically, obviously, there's some anatomical differences between men and women. We're not gonna, we're just, not gonna discuss those, duh. Anyway, okay. um, but girls develop the right side of their brain faster, which leads to talking, vocabulary, pronunciation, reading faster, and better memory, okay? Doesn't mean they're better, they're just different. Boys develop the left side of their brain faster, which is visual, spatial, logical skills, perceptual skills. They tend to be better at math, problem solving, building and figuring out puzzles. Women use both hemispheres of their brain. The corpus callosum is the part of the brain that allows the, your brain to communicate between the creative and the logical, okay? And for women, that is thicker that part of the brain is thicker. Does so those mean, messages... Does that mean fatter? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going oh. to ignore you. Okay, all right. Um, so those, those messages <laughs> go back and forth qu faster, okay? Ergo, we tend to multitask. We tend to carry on several different conversations at the same time, blah, blah. Socially, women generally talk about relationships, people, diet, clothing, physical appearance. Men, generally, talk about sports, work, money, cars, news, politics, and the mechanical side of things. Um, women remember more because the area of the brain that stores memories, the hippocampus, is larger in women than it is in men. The, stuff like this just totally geeks me out because God is so smart, and everything he has designed is intentional. I don't have all the answers. I don't understand it. But it's so fascinating to me that he has intentionally designed men and women to be different so that at, together we reflect a broader picture of who he is. Not a complete picture, but a broader picture. Yeah. A woman's brain is more active at rest than a man's. Um, the reason that's why a woman wants to talk and process after a stressful day, that's how we work things out, right? And how does a man work things out? He wants, to, he wants solitude, he wants autonomy, generally speaking. Um, a man's self, sense of self is defined through his ability to achieve results through success and accomplishment. He achieves goals to prove his competence and feel good about himself. For men, doing things by themselves is a symbol of efficiency, power, and competence, okay? Uh, a man's self-esteem is more career-related generally. Men feel devastated by failure and financial setbacks. They tend to obsess more about money than women do, okay? 
Men hate to ask for information because they believe it shows they have failed. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, wives, but how many times in your life has your husband refused to stop and ask for directions? Just wondering, okay? Um, a woman's sense of self is defined through her feelings and the quality of her relationships. Women spend much time supporting, nurturing, and helping each other. They experience fulfillment through sharing and relating. For a woman, offering help is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. It's a sign of caring to give support. Do you see a possible setup here that could cause a conflict between husband and wife? Women are very concerned about issues relating to physical attractiveness. Changes in this area can be as difficult for a woman as changes in a man's financial status are to him. Other differences. Men have a much more difficult time relating to their own feelings and may feel threatened by the expression of feelings in their presence. They may react by withdrawing or attempting to control the situation through a display of control and or power. Mm. Women tend to be in touch with a much wider range of feelings than men, and they want to talk to you and tell you all about it. And the intensity of those feelings is usually much greater for women than men. As a result of this, many men perceive that women's feelings appear to change quickly. Men may find this irrational and difficult to understand. That's not a bad thing. It's just different. Conflicts that might arise. The most frequent complaint men have about women, women are always trying to change them. The most frequent complaint women have about men, men don't listen. Men assume that women want advice and solutions to problems, that that is the best way to be helpful and to show love. Women often just want someone to sincerely listen to them. Anybody relate? When a woman tries to change, improve, correct, or give advice to a man, he hears that he's being told that he isn't competent, doesn't know how to do something, or that he can't do something on his own. Interesting, huh? So there's nothing wrong with you, or her, or him. You're normal. So the question then is, what do you do? How do you work that out? I wanted to share with you a, re um, a recent example. I'm booting up my phone because I have to read this text message conversation to you. This happened just this week um, in the office. James, James, you wanted to show us who you are? James and I work together, okay? And it's interesting how even in the workplace, the difference between male and female can demonstrate itself. So to give you a little bit backstory, because my phone's taking forever to boot, um, I was injured earlier this week and ended up in crutches. In fact, today's the first day that I've actually put pressure on and walked on my foot. And so um, both James and I serve here at Calvary, <clears throat> and I was, hadn't been able to come into the office because it was just too painful and too difficult to maneuver. And I was going to be coming into the office on Wednesday, I think it was. So, you know, I'm, tell I'm being the woman. I'm telling you way too much backstory right now. This is, this is a classic example, so I have to tell you all this information. So... <clears throat> 
I'm thinking ahead. I'm going to go there. I'm going to be on crutches. This is a big facility. Normally, I'm walking all over the place doing different things. How am I going to do that? How am I going to carry my briefcase with my computer from the car into the building if I have crutches? So I'm thinking, I know. I'm going to, I have 10 grandkids. I'll call my, my grandkids and see if anybody can, I can borrow them for the day and they can come and be my gopher. So I'm calling and nobody, nobody can do it. So I decide, huh, well, I know James is probably going to be at the building on Wednesday, so I'll call him, but I kind of don't want to burden him. I just kind of want to see if he's going to be there, and if he's there, maybe he can help me kind of fetch and carry and do some of the stuff that I need to do, which sounds so demeaning for me to ask a man, will you fetch and carry for me? So anyway, <laughs> so that's the backstory, right? So I send James this text. <clears throat> Um, hi, James, do you plan to be at the building tomorrow? James answers, yes, I will be. I respond, I'm hoping to make it to the building. If I need a wee bit of help, is that a problem? I wanted to bring a grandchild, but no one is available. James answers, you want me to babysit? <laughs> wait, 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 you gave the backstory first. <laughs> well, I wanted Context. Besides, that's what I do. <laughs> so I'm telling Gunther, what? How, how, why does James think I want him to babysit? Because I didn't give enough backstory. That's the moral of the story. I should have said more. That's just one example. Of, I'm thinking he needs all this information so that he will understand why I'm bothering him with the request to please help me, right? Anyway, I just thought that was hilarious. <clears throat> and you did too, obviously. So not only does our gender play into our differences, but we also our personalities, right, play into. You might be introvert, the other, your mate's extrovert. You might be a visionary, you're in, your mate's a creative. I mean, there's so many things that play into our differences. Sometimes ethnicity also plays into those differences, depending upon your cultural background. That's something that's Gun that Gunther and I deal with a lot. We have very distinct cultural backgrounds, and our nations collide. Plus, our personalities are different, plus the whole gender thing. So there's things to learn and grow through in this process. So what do we do? How do we move forward from this place? Um, well, first of all, acknowledge your differences. Acknowledge them and accept them. Laugh about them. No sense stuffing them, no sense pretending they don't exist. Let's identify what they are. You're this, I'm this. It's not bad, it's just different. Don't try to change them. When you think about it, how boring would that be if your spouse was exactly like you? Does anybody want to be married to themselves? I can't think of anything worse, <laughs> honestly. So differences are a good thing. Remember that it was probably those very differences that attracted you to each other in the first place. Think about that. The very differences that 
first attracted us often become the issues of conflict between us. So sometimes it's good to go back and remember, okay, well, when we were dating, I really liked this about him or her. What's happened? Why does it aggravate me now? Discuss those differences. It's okay. Talk about them. Why? Some, some, some of them are gender-related. Some of them are personality. Talk about them. Explain. <coughs> some of them have roots from childhood. Talk about it. Explore them together. Pray for each other, especially if there are you know, deep-seated issues or things that have carried over from your upbringing. Maybe there are places that need to be healed. That's okay. Stand together in that place. Encourage each other through that process. And then work together for solutions where those differences create conflict. Sometimes that can be a process. Often it's not something you're going to fix in a 10-minute conversation. Sometimes just acknowledging those differences, recognizing them together, is a huge step toward healing and resolution. And laugh. I mean, there are, there are moments in our relationship when those differences are full-blown. We just have to step back and crack up, like, how in the world is this working? I mean, honestly, there are some, there are some areas in our relationship where we, as, we are po so polar opposite, it's, it really is funny. But I have, I'm so grateful for this man. I'm so grateful for the part that he's played in my life. And I'm so thankful that he's so different from me. Um, just as a note, tomorrow we will be actually delving into um, certain things of how this can work out practically, what does it look like, some do's and don'ts, uh, just some deeper as we go into this uh, for tomorrow. This is sort of like an intro into generality, so just want to encourage you for that. Now, we, we have a little video that we want to show uh, right now, and some of you may be really familiar with it. You might have seen it. 10 times, and we've seen it a lot of times, but it, I still think it's so funny. Um, if you have seen it already, just enjoy it again. And if it's new, enjoy it for the first time. But this is a great little clip that really highlights one massive difference between men and women. know and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop I mean that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop yeah well, you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop they... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. 
and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. <laughs> Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I <laughs> So great. We asked our friends Chris and Amanda Ainsworth to come and uh, share with you for a few minutes about some of the ways that they have dealt with differences in their relationship. Hello. Thanks for having us. Wow. I feel like I'm on Oprah. <laughs> Everybody gets a brand new Mercedes. You're welcome. This is, wow. Okay. Uh, so we, told, we were told we have five minutes. We'll try our best to honor that. Um, I can identify with like so many things in that packet. So my head's kind of spinning right now. But we did come with the intention to talk about two specific things that we identified in our life as a married couple um, that are differences between us. And we kind of feel like they're a conglomeration of our gender and our personalities and probably our, our social situations and family backgrounds. So um, it's kind of all those mixed into one. Um, maybe we should like introduce ourselves. Okay. My name's Chris. I'm Amanda. Um, we've been married nine years. This August will be 10? Nine? No, we've been married eight years. This August will be nine, so almost nine. <laughs> See, I wasn't the only one that didn't remember. Uh, we have two daughters, uh, four and two. So I am very aware of some of the differences in my house because I am the only male. We need to get a dog. <laughs> and um, anything else you want to say? Okay, I nailed it. Um, Advice that was given to us by many married couples throughout our lives, including um, kind of like mentors in our lives, um, pastoral figures, um, quite a few uh, couples in this church as well. Before we were married, when we got married, and since we've been married is this idea of always trying to connect with each other throughout your marriage, especially um, when you have kids, it's just logistically, it becomes a lot more difficult to even just go on a date or just go have fun. You know, spontaneity is a lot harder to uh, exist in your life when you've got little children running around. Um, and so to not lose sight through all the busyness of life of trying to stay connected. And one of the ways that we try to stay connected was this idea of having like a, a regular date night. Does anyone else have a date night consistently or every once in a while? Yeah. It's, it's definitely had peaks and valleys. There's times where we do it more consistently than others. Um, and the intention of that date night is to kind of put everything else on pause and, and foster our relationship. And so kind of the lens of these two things we've identified is like how we spend time on a date night. Okay? So uh, Chris and I are really different in what we want to do on a date night and how we want to connect. I tend to, and it could be because I'm a woman or the person I am, I tend to want to connect from conversation. And Chris wants to connect by uh, doing, experiencing thing to, things together. So like going to a sporting event or 
doing something like that. So we don't have family in the area. We both work, and we have two small children. So as you can imagine, going out to do things is very, um, it's not a very common thing. So we've had to get creative. And so one of the ways that we try to connect at night is we play games. Like we literally will get out and play. What's that one that we play? Dominion. We play Dominion. I play Dominion. Um, if anyone wants to play, I know how. And, um, and I'm like, well, this is really important because we are trying to like have an experience together, even though we can't leave the house. And there's nowhere we can go because there are these children here. Um, and so we, I've tried to really do that too because I know Chris wants to experience something together. And then there are some nights where he's like, let's sit down. Let's, I just want you to share your thoughts and feelings with me. I'm like, really? Okay, <laughs> sit down. And, it's, and so we've really noticed like in times where we're able to connect with one another, it's we're intentionally trying to serve the other person by connecting with them the way that they want to be connected with, not the way that I might need to be connected with, so. One of the ironic things about game night is that Amanda um, loves to win, perhaps more than any other thing. So I'll notice that when she's really like thinking through her strategy and she's gonna make her next move, that's when I start asking her how she's feeling about life. <laughs> start asking the questions, because I don't get a very, robust response, and then I can be like, well, I've been asking you questions. <laughs> and then if I win, which is a rarity, I ask her how she's feeling then. She tells me very directly how she's feeling. So yeah, the first thing we identified was just, like, how do we feel connected? I feel connected through like uh, building an experience together, like side by side trying to do something and just enjoying it for what it is, having fun. Amanda likes to talk and express our thoughts and feelings and you know we could talk anything from who's the best superhero of all time to you know uh breaking down some scripture and talking about the implications of you know gender and things like that so um both of those we have to identify the need and move forward the second thing that we wanted to point out is how we think and communicate uh we heard this analogy can't remember where we heard it from but i thought it was interesting and i think we feel like it's true, so you can tell me if you agree. But men's brains operate, and the way we think is kind of like a Belgian waffle. We've got like a little square for everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> all the waffle fans in the house. So you know, we like you know we have like our we just have everything in nice little orderly grid, and we access those grids one at a time, right? Until that grid's done, and then we move on to the next thing. Yep. And how do how do women think? Women are like spaghetti. It's just all at once. I'm like, Chris is like, why are you so quiet? I'm like, I don't know, because I'm thinking about my job, the kids, our future, our retirement, our house, our, the economy, and my parents, and it's all just really scary and stressful. And Chris is like, oh my gosh, can you please relax and like enjoy our children? And I'm like, okay, yep. She'll be like, the family, the kids, the money, the blah, blah, blah. I'm like... Uh-huh, uh-huh, I tried to do a really good job of listening. And she goes, and then what do you think about that? I go, which part? <laughs> she goes, all of it. I, where do I even start, right? So, you know, it's a challenge for me to, to take the whole thing. I need, I need the compartments. And then she can, you know, help me by being like, let's just talk about one thing tonight, maybe. It's a good way, so.
So something that um, I, I really liked where you're heading, Vicki, I feel like what Chris and I have done is we've learned our differences and we spent the first couple of years learning what our differences were and learning that we're very different. And then we started appreciating our differences and then we've started like embracing our differences and, um, and learning how we like complement each other. And I would say we go back and forth between appreciating and complimenting like and trying, but I've learned like, oh, Chris is much more relationally intelligent than I am. So when someone comes over and they have problems, I'm like, uh-huh. Have you talked to my husband? He's really good at listening and helping these things. And, and like I've learned that he's a lot more gifted in that than I am. And, um, and then the other thing that we've had to learn to do um, with our differences is to learn to communicate really well when we need something that's different. So Chris has learned to say things like, I really just need you to say something nice to me right now. Like something, I need some something uplifting and I'm like oh that's right you need that oh okay like you're really good at this and I but he has to like sometimes like remind me of that and then sometimes I'm like you know I really I just want to you know sit with you and well I don't really like snuggling but I just want him to like be there with me and just sit with me and maybe watch a chick flick with me and I have learned to like say that and ask for it and then as we've gotten more used to that, then we do it a lot more naturally. If it's a good night, she'll say, you're really good at board games. It's <laughs> a good night. Um, the last thing that we wanted to touch on was um, how, and we still struggle, like the differences cause conflict at times. You know, it's not always like, oh, you're so different, I love that. It's like, oh man, <sighs> let's take a moment let it cool off, we'll come back and, and we can appreciate things in hindsight often. Um, but uh, when we were able to start um, noticing the times where we could leverage the other person's strengths um, in our family setting, um, it became uh, a way to appreciate those differences rather than let them be conflict. And um, so there's times where, you know, Amanda's strengths and giftings and leanings are like way better uh, at what we need in the moment and we can if we can recognize those things and push towards those things um, we find that we start appreciating that um, dynamic in our relationship a lot more and the last thing we did as far as date night goes is we try to every once in a while um, pick up pick like a theme for the date night so is this going to be like a dude's date night or is this going to be like a lady's date night and if it's like a dude's date night, then, you know, we like go play games and we have fun or we go beer tasting or whatever. What I, I get to pick usually, being the dude. And, that, and if it's the ladies' night, then, you know, it might be like a glass of wine and um, a chick flick or, you know, talk about whatever comes to, comes to the forefront. So that's it. Thank you. You guys put us to shame, and I realized we never even introduced ourselves or talked about who we are. <laughs> Our names are Brian and Sherry Stupar. <laughs> Obviously, we're Gunther and Vicky. Say Krewinski ten times real fast. I dare you. Anyway. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. We've been married 43 years. Yes, we have. We've been up on the Central Coast since 78. Nine, 79. Did, was it 79? All right, anyway. Like it mattered, but anyway. Me better memory, right? Isn't that what you said? 
At least I got the 43 years right. Um, and we met down in Southern California, uh, which we might go into at some point to tell that funny story. That's worth telling. Someday. But, yeah, someday. But she was originally born in SoCal, and I'm a NorCal boy. And uh, she loves the same great baseball team, the Giants, who have won more pennants and more World Series than I'm the sorry. Dodgers. But, yeah, see? That's what I want, brother, right there. Anyway, we have three children. They're all grown up. They're all married. They all have kids. And we have uh, 10 grandchildren. And we just found out we're going to be great grandparents. So, yeah, we're just really grateful. God's definitely blessed us. Be in your packet, with your differences, there is a Thriving in Our Differences worksheet. We're going to take probably 10 minutes. We realize you're not going to get it all done. But um, begin the process of just answering those questions, see how far you get, and uh, we'll reconvene in about 10 minutes. How's that? Okay, you probably didn't get through all of those or have a chance to discuss uh, all of those with each other. Um, obviously, these are all take-home things that you can extend and fill in different times uh, with different exercises to be able to do that with each other. Um, <clears throat> we're going to change gears now a little bit um, in moving on from differences to um, cultivating a thriving friendship. And um, <clears throat> again, this is a hallmark, by the way. There, there have been so many recent studies in the last 20-some-odd years of the vitality and necessity, uh, necess necessity of building up a friendship that is strong and lasting. Um, multiple thousands and thousands of couples uh, through different uh, marriage counselors, uh, people that are gifted in their area of, of uh, science, <clears throat> that has really proven out empirically that the idea of friendship is an absolute key pillar in being able to weather the changes and everything else that go within a marriage. But again, going kind of like a larger view from you know, heaven's viewpoint um, in that handout on thriving and friendship there, <clears throat> it, it's easy within the context of um, following Jesus, uh, obeying his commandments, um, building up good healthy habits in walking with God. Um, and doing things for God or in God, um, especially for guys, we can be task-orientated. Uh, my wife is even more task-orientated than I am sometimes. Um, we can lose that ability to understand that friendship with God is important to him and that we are God's friends. 
Um, <clears throat> and the fact that as we live life together uh, with, as friends of God, we begin to see more of the commitment and sacrifice that he shows to us, that we're able to respond in like kind to him, to be able to respond. And so continue that friendship. Um, <clears throat> Jesus in John 15 says here, um, this is my commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. Kind of get the idea here. Um, and he's obviously using a picture that we're a little less familiar with, but in the times that Jesus is there, um, the, the servant just simply took orders but didn't have a larger picture of how the household was, didn't have what you might call a, a buddy relationship with his master. Um, and so with that, the servant didn't understand the larger picture, didn't know what was going on. He just simply took orders and did it. And that's what he was there for, or that's what she was there for. So in, in this is revolutionary in this idea that uh, even though Paul said, I, I'm a servant of Christ, and, and a willing servant was that he willingly gave himself, not by a slavery issue of being, you know, simply ordered to do things and then go do it, but rather out of a willingness because he loved being with this God and willingly gave himself up to be a servant. So, Jesus goes on to say, but I have called you friends because everything I have learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And then that scripture speaking about Abraham and his relationship with God uh, back in Genesis, and if you want to read more about that. But James says, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So your friendship with God is important to him. And he wants you to explore that area of friendship and what that looks like. So I encourage you to spend some time in, in that aspect of your relationship with him. But <clears throat> I want to read this quote from Tim Keller, which I, I found very powerful. It's out of his book called uh, The Meaning of Marriage. Uh, I recommend that book. It's a great book. Um, but he says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I would agree with that. that. That definitely is one of those top fears. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. That, that has a lot in that statement. That's a powerful statement to me. This is the quality of friendship that is so essential in your relationship, that you're able to be known in ways that even some of your closest friends in the past didn't know you, and know that you're loved by your spouse is a very powerful, liberating process. I'll leave you to think about that. <clears throat> Happy marriages, and I would say the happiest of marriages, are based on deep friendship, mutual respect and enjoyment of each other's company. They tend uh, 
to each other intimately. They're well-versed in each other's likes and dislikes, as Gunther's mentioned. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness not just in big ways, but in little ways, day in and day out. They're known by their spouse and feel secure in being loved. You know, um, in, in the marriage counseling world, it used to be that we were told um, that communication was the key to a happy marriage. And that was the approach that we took often, was if we could get a couple communicating well, our hope was that whatever crisis they were facing could be mended. But research has proven, actually, it's friendship that is the better foundation. And when we have couples now in crisis, we focus on rebuilding that friendship first. Because that actually, when, when there's a strong friendship and a deep understanding and knowing of each other, that is actually what does more repair and builds a stronger foundation, even than better communication. Communication will flow out of a deep friendship, but it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. Let me um, give a quick example what this might look like. Um, let's say you're this couple getting ready for a dinner party. And you, as the husband, asks, hey, honey, where are the napkins? And his wife answers back with an edge, I don't know, just find them. When there's a deep bond of friendship, the husband can just take the information at face value and realize that maybe she's having a problem with the meal or something else is bothering her. It's a way of practicing love. It's a way of understanding through friendship that love believes all things, love hopes all things. It's giving each other the benefit of the doubt. But in a marriage that's maybe lacking in friendship, he may answer back, well, then fine, get him yourself. It's a good example. Friendship <clears throat> is that sense of understanding when one of you is having a hard day or you're going through some sorrow. Uh, in your notes, it says the tides of passion, romance, successes, failures, sorrows, etc. Children, jobs found or lost. The crises that come in life are weathered better and weathered quicker when the friendship between you is strong. Yeah, it's interesting. We're, obviously, we're not doing a topic on sex, but this was, uh, again, a large study done that the determining factor in whether wives felt satisfied with sex, romance, and passion in their marriage was by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. For men, the determining factor for the same was the quality of couple's friendship. The conclusion is friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial towards your spouse. Interesting study. I found that interesting, especially the, you know, sometimes men and women aren't different. <laughs> Rather fascinating to me. So think back to your previous friendships that you've had with men and women in, the, in your past. What were the hallmarks of your closest friendships? Think about that. What were they? And are they being replicated in your marriage? Can some of those hallmarks be transferred over to your relationship you have now? 
Is your spouse your best friend? That took me a lot longer to figure out as a young man. I had lots of friends, and I figured some of those were my closest friends. And I had no clue as to the understanding about my wife even being close to be my closest friend. I didn't have any grid for that. It took me, how long would you say? I don't know that I'd want to qualify that. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, I don't know that I can answer that. But, you know, we always encourage, you know, we often say in the church that the best foundation when you're looking towards marriage is to start as friends. Um, just because it serves you so well, that wasn't our story. <laughs> you know, we got married in a fever, literally. And um, we were 19 and 21, you know, barely saved, didn't know much about life at all. But for the grace of God, there go Gunther and Vicki. Yeah. So it took us a while to understand, really, and it just sort of happened organically. Really, we just... Well, liked I, each other. I think you, I became your better, best friend much quicker than I did. It took me a long time to work I, I, out. I'm old. I don't remember that far back. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. So um, are you on the road to making that person your best friend? I hope that you think about that and realize it is a huge pillar here. Again, just that scripture, no greater love than to lay down their life for their friend. That's important. Okay, so we have a couple here. Uh, Our Bethany, friends, Nate and Bethany. Nate and Bethany to do a little story about what friendship has been in their life. Uh, all right. I am Nate Watts, and this is Beth. And we've been married almost 11 years now. That's right. I know that. And um, in a couple weeks, yeah. Um, so we, I don't know, this wasn't our first topic choice. But um, I think in talking more about it and just kind of letting it mull over on our brains, we, we just realized that when we talk to each other, we, we realize what good friends we are. It takes... It takes the actual sitting down and communicating and actually learning, you know, about each other's day and learning what, what happened to, to actually go through and say, hey, you know, we really do enjoy each other's company. We do enjoy being friends and, and going through life together. And uh, this is going to sound really nerdy. Okay. We, uh, oh, yeah. We have a four, uh, three and a half year old and a six year old. And yeah, that kind of puts some things in context. So um, I'm a math teacher, and so I've been talking about systems of linear equations. If anybody remembers that, probably not. But um, so <laughs> when you're when you're graphing these things, you you get parallel lines. So like we were talking about with the um, with the train tracks, you can have a train track relationship where things are just kind of parallel, and where you can you can serve side by side, you can raise kids side by side. But when you actually um, there, if, if you actually figure out when you graph two lines and you try to figure out what the solution is, the actual solution of two parallel lines is no solution. So that actually doesn't help at all. So it's when the two parallel or when the two lines intersect is when you actually have a solution to the problem. And so that's, that's what you need is you need that time to, to connect, to get together. And um, so we, just a little bit of our story, we, we met um, a little over 11 years ago. We're coming up on 11 years, if that makes sense. Um, we, we started out as friends, literally. Um, we had a friend in common, Tom, from MySpace. 
Um, we, we did meet on MySpace. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we were actually married about seven and a half months after we first became friends on MySpace. So um, it was a, another, it wasn't a fever, but it was, it was a very quick courtship. And um, so it was kind of nice that the first year of our marriage, we, we actually worked side by side. We worked kind of just down the street from each other. We, we took that time and we, we took some of the, the biblical, and it's, this is, again, this is not for everybody to do exactly the same way, but we took our first year of marriage and we said, um, let's just kind of commit to our friendship and learning about each other since we met so quickly and everything. So um, a lot of it was just you know, just game nights and, and making a, having a garden out in the backyard that we would check on daily and, and, and going out and seeing what was going on. And, and sometimes it, uh, it, it took us away from our other relationships. So we had to course correct back and, and realize that our other friendships were just as important, but that, that we, we had to look to God first and then to each other next. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of starting. <laughs> um, something we were talking about just last night when we were discussing this um, was just the fact that our friendship did start quickly, but um, we found a lot of things in common that we did enjoy, like going to concerts and traveling and things like that. And since we've had kids, date nights are difficult, like Amanda was saying, and getting out of the house. And um, something that we really focused on since we had a three-month engagement um, we prayed together every single day. We prayed over our future marriage. We wanted to set that foundation, that spiritual foundation, and um, really, you know, make that a priority, obviously. And, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought, except for um, a couple years ago, we were kind of struggling and having a hard time, and um, I had a friend recommend reading through the Bible together through the Read Scripture app, and we, I realized we hadn't been in the Word together in quite a while. We'd gone, I'd gone through nursing school, gone through thyroid cancer, struggled with infertility, just a slew of things in a few years. And we just didn't have that foundation. I mean, we still had the foundation, but we hadn't gone back to that foundation. And I came home from meeting with a friend and said, we need to be in the Word together. And that rekindled that fire and that passion for Christ together. So what we do a lot of times at night, once the kids are in bed, we don't have time for a date night. We sit down and we read scripture out loud to each other and just have that time to just pray and talk about our day and um, really refocus on our foundation and build each other up and and be able to pray together. And that's been such a huge blessing to us. And that's made such a huge difference just again in the last couple of years to refocus and say, oh yeah, like that's, that's where we started. We were, we were dating and we would pray together all the time. And we want to set a good example of friendship for our kids and looking at friendships that we've had the longest, they've been based on, you know, faith and, and course correction and correcting each other and just having that vulnerability and also um, just accountability with each other. So. And I think, yeah, just it's, it's going back, like Gunther was saying, going back to, um, just to, back to the start and kind of seeing when, what made you fall in love with each other. Some of those differences sometimes, um, it's not always, and, and as, uh, as we were saying before, the um, 
finding those those differences sometimes, but then putting the other person first, that it's not always a one-sided thing. I mean, finding that we both enjoyed music, and so concerts were a big deal for us. But then um, I really enjoy watching the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, Beth could care less about it, but then the next day she's wearing a Randall Cunningham jersey and she made cake pops that are shaped like footballs and she painted her fingernails green and we're, we're having a wing dinner together. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's finding those things that, you know, that can bless each other and knowing each other's passions, other, our, our loves, desires, dreams, different things like that and, and just appreciating that and going back to those differences, those similarities and, and kind of just taking it back to what made you fall in love with, with each other and, um, yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Um, you know, another notation about friendship. Um, sometimes we can get into a mindset that, gosh, if we could just get away for a two-week vacation, just the two of us, that would really change everything. Or gosh, if we, if we had this fantastically romantic date, um, that would just seal the deal. You know, friendship, if you think of your, you know, your closest friends, what made that friendship? Well, it was a lot of little things that were shared. Was that accurate? Yeah, you would do some things together, but it, there was a lot of just mundane, simple things that deepened that friendship. So in a sense, it works the same way. Uh, in this process of building, and I think Nate and, and uh, Bethany, you know, kind of brought that out. Um, okay, this probably, this packet of stuff here is probably the biggest ones, a lot of them there, because I think we really do value that friendship is such a pillar. Uh, you can look at it and go, oh my gosh, you're kidding me, we'll never get through this in five years. Um, hopefully it won't take that long. Because if you're intentional and actually take some time uh, to do some of these things on a pace that will fit your schedule and be intentional, uh, you'll be surprised how quickly you can get through it. So just as a shared exercise, what I'd like you to do is go ahead and uh, pick up the I appreciate. <clears throat> um, the value of saying, I'm so glad for or I'm thankful for, or I value this about you, if this is built in, it's a super positive reinforcement of how much you are loved and cared for, even though they know you so well. So what I'd like you to do, uh, it says circle three items. I just want you to circle one item that you think is a characteristic of your partner that you value or appreciate or enjoy. Pick one, and then on the, the second page there, there is, number one, write down that characteristic and think of an incident that actually illustrates this characteristic of your partner and share it with each other. Okay? Go ahead and start that one. good to hear the laughter and the talking. Um, obviously, um, women tend to take these exercises with a lot more vim and vigor and, and receptivity, and guys are 
Yeah, this seems a little hokey and a little forced. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> um, what we're doing is we're retraining a habit. Uh, I'm going to relate to you guys as a golf. I love golf. I enjoy golf a lot. Um, my swing has changed over the years. Instead of being an abysmal golfer, I have progressed to being a lousy golfer. <laughs> but what's helped is videos and instruction that's forced me to change the swing. How many guys play golf in here? All right, similar to baseball, similar to a lot of things. So, especially with an iron, you gotta put more weight on that left foot when you're stepping up with an iron so that you're coming through and you're not bowing that wrist and flipping the wrist. Got it? Well, I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so if you really want accuracy with the iron, you really want to bring back, start with that left hand and you lean through and you take that hand and pop it through. Anyway, the point is, is I've gotten better at it, but to change that swing required, it didn't feel really comfortable at first. These exercises are really similar to that. Um, I'm asking you guys to push through it a little bit and work through these things on a regular basis and match your wife's intentionality, in a sense, with this. Okay? Just as a word of, word of encouragement to you. Okay, so we've got two other exercises. Obviously, there's more to do on here. Um, the remembering the joys and victories of our past. Um, and again, you can take this piecemeal, however you want to. But it's really interesting, as you start talking about some of the successful uh, events of your past, um, it really will bring up again in your memory some of the early years of your relationship and help, you know, some cases help you remember uh, how and why you became a couple. Um, and, and so again, it's, it's, a lot of studies have been done on this, by the way, that when you begin to remember, remember the fond parts of how you got together, some of your you know, successes, some of the funny things, it actually, again, rebuilds and rekindles that connection in a lot of different ways. One of the things we do in, in marriage uh, therapy is you know, a lot of times uh, people just want to focus on what's wrong and let's get it right. But if you really look at scripture, um, especially in one instance uh, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus addresses the seven churches in Asia, in five of the cases, he first of all mentions what's going well and strengthening that, basically is his word. And then addresses what's out of balance, what's not right, and how, what to do to fix that. I, I think that's a needful approach in this, that we strengthen what's doing well or what has been going well in the past and rekindle it so that when we face the, the difficulties, the, you know, the things that really can darken uh, in a dark cloud, it puts it back into perspective where it needs to be. We tend to be sometimes uh, negative in our approach many times, and sometimes negativity can overcome what's good. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that one fly can mess up an ointment or perfume. One dead fly and, and you throw out the whole jar. Negativity is similar to that. So um, take a look at that exercise. And then finally, go ahead and pick up that seven-week course uh, for 
uh, in fondness and admiration. Um, again, uh, read it, go through it, and, and, I, would, and I would encourage you, uh, depending on your schedule, you can change through the week, the nights, depending on your work schedule, uh, what's going on, and, and adjust what you do on each day uh, according to your schedule and your rhythm and, and what happens. Um, I would strongly encourage you that um, a, a common study has been done that if you maintain a habit for 30 days or more, it becomes a practice. Um, these aren't hard, guys. I, I really want to encourage you. Just try to, as much as you can, to keep this in the rhythm of your day and see what comes out of this if you practice this on a regular basis. There's nobody taking a test. Hopefully, each of you aren't going to hold each other's feet to the fire to, to make sure they, they do it. That's an adversarial approach. If you miss a day or two, pick up and, and you know, just continue to do it. Um, you get, get the picture on that? So just want to encourage you on that, and, and uh, hopefully this can be something that will build back in or build up what's already good uh, to an end that you are going to reap a harvest because you're planting seeds again into the friendship of your relationship. Obviously, the exercises we're passing out, this is the most of it. So this could be months of fun stuff you could do together or work through. It all depends on how you approach that. Thank okay? you, Gunther and Vicki. Um, just a little, some tidbits uh, moving toward tomorrow. We're going to close here in prayer in just a second, but uh, tomorrow morning we will not have snacks available. So if you tend to need something mid-morning morning to keep your blood sugar up, bring yourself a little snack in the morning. We are providing lunch. Uh, there will be a simple lunch, sandwiches and whatnot. For those that are uh, gluten-free, we will have lettuce wraps. So if you're concerned about that and feel like you need to bring something, if you're on a Another special diet, that's fine too. Just kind of wanted to give you a heads up about what's coming tomorrow. We'll be meeting, meeting here and starting tomorrow morning sharply at 9 a.m. Don't forget to take advantage of the photo booth in the warehouse. And um, have fun. Bless you. Let's close in prayer. Yeah. And guys, if that lunch isn't hearty enough, bring your own steak. All right. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just want to commit every single couple in this room to you again. Uh, you work in such mysterious, powerful, and sometimes invisible ways that we don't even know that you're working in us. And I want to entrust <clears throat> each couple that you've brought together in this room. You made each individual. You knew them before they were born. You, you formed them and shaped them in their womb. And you fully know them, and yet you love them. And Lord, you had a plan to bring these couples together. It came together in a lot of different ways, but you planned it out. So I, I pray that the knowledge, of, the knowledge that you have of them will just permeate them, that you know them deeply, you know them intimately, and that your purpose and design for the future is for good and not for bad. So uh, give them plenty of rest tonight and uh, strengthen them. And I pray that uh, none of the seeds that were planted tonight uh, would be taken away, that you would nurture them, watch over them, water them, feed them. And I pray for a rich harvest in uh, these couples' lives. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. See you guys tomorrow morning. Good night. Thank you.